Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today, we're talking with Mikey Kent of the podcast Toxic Schlock and of the band Ghoulie. We talked today about Metallica's second album, Ride the Lightning, an album and band that had a huge impact on both of us growing up. To this day, I'm listening to one of the first five albums on like a monthly basis. While I'll always state Injustice for All is my favorite Metallica album, it's hard not to grab for Ride the Lightning or Master of Puppets, but you literally can't go wrong with any of them. Well, up to a point. By the way, if you're a fan of horror, please check out Mikey's podcast, Toxic Schlock. I've been fortunate enough to be a guest twice, but outside of that, it's super well done and very well edited and thought out. Before we get to the chat, please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you do podcasts. Okay, let's chat with Mikey Kent. Hey Mikey, how's it going? Hey man, I'm I'm doing okay. Uh, how are you doing? Pretty good. I got the day off for Good Friday. Uh, you know, Sick. Pulling the veil back on when we're recording this a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, can't complain. It's a good day. It's a little cold in Charlotte, North Carolina. Not sure what yep, Richmond I, is. It's cold. Uh, but I'm doing okay overall. I just got my first shot a few days ago, so I'm pretty stoked about that. Yeah. I think, in general, I've just been so anxious. I don't mean to go into, like, a whole COVID yeah. <laughs> spiel thing, but I think just, like, where we're at right now, I am just, like, so anxious to see things move forward without, like, jumping the gun. Yeah, it's, so. it's actually... Uh, the day for that got me kind of thinking about, like, the rest of the year because the fast, which I believe you're still playing mm-hmm. we're all hypothetically playing it. hypothetically yeah, playing that's the, that's the thing i feel like it's like this has been kind of you know obviously last year you kind of announced it and then you're kind of hoping i, I believe that's what happened it's kind of like you announced and you're mm-hmm. like fingers crossed and then as it got closer to you're like fingers crossed and then obviously it didn't <laughs> happen and then they're like rescheduling it and fingers crossed again but i too have had my first uh shot and getting the other in a couple weeks so you know cautiously optimistic uh but yeah they can give me like three more if it means i can do stuff (laughs) later this year so yeah yeah i've uh i think right now also it's like i've started in like dipping my toe into regular activities like my main band ghoulie we're just had our first practice in like five months and stuff because it's like maybe in four months we'd play a show or something so it's it's been it's been cool i'm ready to get my second shot so that i can go to the movie theater at least yeah i got yeah that's one thing i really was thinking about today just like the idea of going to see a movie safely i've seen a couple people doing it and definitely like no one was in the theater so it's probably safer than like seeing a grandparent or something you know but yeah going to the grocery store (laughs) yeah grocery store definitely um but you know still kind of like strange you know I'll just uh, I'll just stay home and watch the Snyder Cut instead. <laughs> yeah, I, I I will say I am holding out for this. Uh, I know the day of this release, this is right when uh, the Godzilla 
and Kong movie just released. And I was like, I'm going to hold on to wait to get my second shot to see that one in theaters. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I'm... Um, quite as fun at home. I think, yeah, I think I'm going to watch it from home tonight. If, you know, Hell yeah. So that is nice. But we are not talking about Godzilla or Kong today. <laughs> we are talking about Metallica's second album, Ride the Lightning, from 1984. And that came out on Megaforce Records. Uh... July 27th, 1984. Uh, what I will ask is, when was the first time you heard this record? So the first time I heard this record, I'm honestly not sure. I think with this album, I kind of, I got into this band mainly through like the LimeWire era of just like kind of pulling in individual songs. Um, I, I was already into Kill 'Em All at the time. I got into Kill 'Em All when I was probably in like seventh grade, because I was into before that. You know, like fifth, sixth grade, I was into the kind of the contemporary mainstream metal stuff, like your Slipknots, your System of a Downs, even like your early Avenged Sevenfold and stuff. And so, like, my tendency with anything I get into is to go to the beginning and to like find out like where it all started from. So it's like. Right when I got into Green Day, I go straight to The Clash and The Sex Pistols, and then I work my way throughout the decades. Um, so I was, you know, into some contemporary metal stuff, and then I got into Black Sabbath because I was like, apparently that's the first, like, classic heavy metal record. Uh, and so then I heard that, and I really liked it, and then I, th- I think I watched a documentary series. I might be mixing up my timeline, but I saw this series on VH1. I think it was called Heavy, The Story of Metal. Uh, and I, I'm just like such like a music history dork and just like pop culture dork, especially when I was uh, in my my early teens and late elementary school, just watching like any documentary on VH1 every like I love the 70s. I love the 80s. And I saw this series on Heavy, the Story of Metal. And then there's an episode on Thrash Metal. So then I instantly went and got Kill Em All. And it just blew my mind because at that point I had already heard. You know, like I said, like your Slipknots and I was into like Green Day and stuff, but Kill 'Em All felt so immediate and just like intense at the time and like relatable in a way that that you didn't really get from like Black Sabbath, although I really liked them and I would fall more and more in love with Black Sabbath. But I think so that after I heard Kill 'Em All, then I started just like downloading individual songs from Ride the Lightning to where I eventually collected the whole record. Um at the same time as I was kind of getting into all their first four records or their second through fourth record. And it just kind of became more and more apparent to me as I was listening to all these songs. It's like, I think all my favorite ones are all in this ride, the lightning record. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into it. I just, I think the record is, it's kind of like the perfect mixture of their early scrappiness with their later, more precise, like massive aggression and guitar tones. And yeah, it really stuck with me early on. I remember specifically like Fade to Black being one that oh, yeah. really stuck to me. Yeah, when I remember outside of, I guess outside of kind of like the radio at the time, I think one of the first times I remember hearing uh, Metallica on the radio was probably like Hero of the Day, which I think is mm-hmm. like Load or Reload. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. It's like I can't really differentiate what's on what for that. Um, yeah. So I was looking at the track list actually last night and I was just like, I haven't heard most of these. Songs. Yeah. I kind of sidebar. It was one night at the Milestone when I was doing sound. Um, me and uh, the bartender that night were like, we will only listen to load and reload uh, for the whole <laughs> night. 
And we, I, when we said that, we didn't really consider the fact that each record's probably like 50 minutes, I think. It's just overly longer, just feels yeah, overly yeah. long. And because I think it's like when you think about the fact that they both came out in like the same year, it was like maybe they're like 30 minutes each, you know, like an hour long thing. But they are very dense records with not a lot of like good songs. <laughs> there's like, I'd say there's like two or three that I can get down with. Yeah. But in general, it's, it's, it's a fascinating uh, career arc for them. And of them, that's the point where they just completely lost all sense of reality. Yeah. But I, and I think yeah. you still have that nowadays with, even though like some of their, their last album I actually thought had some cool songs, but like their first albums, they had like, Ride the Lightning had like what eight songs, and it's like thirty five minutes or something like that. Yeah, and it's so concise, and they just like got so bloated by that point. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of that, the first record that I remember sitting down and listening to of theirs outside of just radio tracks was Injustice for All, mm-hmm. um, and I would sometimes I feel like if people ask me, I still say that's my favorite Metallica record. It rolls, but yeah. I think that that is really what introduced kind of the bloat into Metallica. Like mm-hmm. yeah. those are, you know, there are songs that are like eight minutes without needing to be eight minutes. You know, yeah. they're not. It's not like Neurosis where it goes somewhere. Even like you could say like Dinosaur Junior that seems to go some type of journey along the way. It's really just or even course. Call of Cthulhu or yeah. something off Red Lightning where it feels like very like 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 a like a journey, not just like a long song yeah yeah it's very um in a way i mean it's just kind of verse chorus verse like it's just a lot of repetition which is totally fine but if you're going to do that kind of structure like then you really need to keep you know the kind of three minute three and a half minute kind of thing going on but with that said i love that record you know but it Mm -hmm. definitely is it it rules yeah it definitely is the point that you know everything's kind of definitely downhill from there even though i feel like black album is one like people always say the first four metallica records but i would throw black album and in, in, definitely into like the good like good pile. yeah so actually in pre- preparation for this episode i wanted to like kind of revisit who metallica is like mm-hmm. kind of like looking at their whole arc so i watched like a bunch of early live videos and then i watched the uh, a year and a half in the life of Metallica, which is like a re- it's like capturing the recording and the tour cycle of the Black Album, and it's always an album, the Black Album, where I always kind of just like threw like kind of threw it to the side just because I was like, you know, it's it's like okay, like I kind of like it, but I've heard all these songs a million times, I'm never gonna listen to them. And at this point, I hadn't listened to a lot of those songs in years. Mm-hmm pretty good record yeah like, i know that's not like a hot take like black album good album but like it's one of those things where it's like when something becomes so popular there gets to be a point where it almost becomes underrated and i was like i actually think i really like the black album like i'm never gonna put on inner sandman but yeah i don't think Through I the need never to... is a ripping track yeah inner sandman has really just become like sweet home alabama or like just kind of any song you've heard too much like smells like teen spirit uh like you just hear them too much so you don't even know like how you naturally connect with them anymore it might as well be macarena at that point like you know so yeah anytime i put on black album i you know i'm probably gonna skip inner sandman um but the rest of the album or really the whole the album as a whole like really is not that bad 
Um, but I really like even like the Unforgiven. I think it's like a really yeah. good song. I, I love that song. Uh, like I, yeah. I mean, but kind of going, I guess, to the album that we're we're talking about today. Like this is like a to me. I mean, it is a big step up from Kill 'Em All. Absolutely. Um, like. I guess going off the top, like if we're just saying the four albums, um, or let's say five, um, first five, how would you rank them best to worst? Two, three, four, one, two. two. Uh, so that's Ride the Lightning, Master Puppets, uh, and Justice for All, Kill 'em All, Black Album. Okay. I used to love Kill 'em All, and that was my introduction to them. I really don't revisit that record as much because to me, Ride the Lightning is such a huge leap forward both uh, instrumentally, the kind of conceptual ideas and songwriting ideas, lyrically, it just kind of takes the best elements of Kill 'Em All and moves it forward. Um, in terms of like Kill 'Em All, like Four Horsemen and Phantom Lord are the only two songs I really re- revisit much. And then I really like Injustice for All, but it also it it it's more of an album where I'll revisit like four to five songs. And there's a lot that I don't yeah. listen to much on that record. Like I remember the moment I first heard one and it like was a moment where my jaw literally dropped when I was 14 during like the, uh, during the double kick part, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, it, it, I, I like, I remember the moment I heard that and like, I really like that record. The production is hard for me to get past because I played bass in bands for years and it's just like really a frustrating album to listen to. Yeah. And then the black album, like at this point, I really do like actually enjoy that record, but not as much as the other ones, but they're all so good. I, I, I think you could make a case for either ride the lightning or master puppets that they are the best example of what a heavy metal album is mm. to me. Yeah. Like if you wanted to show something like this is metal you could also, you know, you could show them like a great, like British Steel by Judas Priest, or you know, Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden, or uh, any of the first four or five Black Sabbath records. All great, but this to me kind of like is such an approachable album, but it also feels like kind of extreme at the same time. Mm. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, it, it's like I never, I don't think that many people like thrash metal heads would disagree with me. Like when I think about like Kill 'Em All, like it's hard to compare it just because of the next album is like so much, like you said, like a leap forward, but it's like, I never really felt like they were that great of like a thrash metal band. Like, you know, there's so many, even like Testament is like such a strong, like if you're kind of looking at first albums, it's like kill them all is not that strong comparatively. And I, I don't know like who that, you know, sometimes it's like, it's easy to just kind of blame Lars. But if you are just blaming Lars, it's more so that like Lars was always like more of like a rock drummer than mm-hmm. than yeah. a metal drummer. You know, so it's like yeah, there's certain absolutely. kind of things that I think like even when you're listening to like Judas Priest albums that have like double kick and stuff like, you know, no one can like Lars can't do that, you know, and that's that's fine. So as they kind of progressed, I felt like they kind of worked to their strengths until it all fell apart. Yeah, I think on Kill 'Em All, it's just like a really cool album of teenagers trying to do Motorhead with like some shreddier. Like the whole classic thing people say is it's it's Motorhead mixed with Diamond Head. And I've only heard a couple Diamond Head songs. I've heard like all the songs that Metallica covered and made famous, like Am I Evil and stuff like that. But 
Kill 'em All is just it's just a cool scrappy album of of teens singing about rocking out <laughs> like all the songs are just about metal and and it, it does remind me in a way of like the first Slayer record Show No Mercy really cool record not the record I'm gonna grab when I want to listen to Slayer though it because that album in the same way that album sounds like a band trying to be Venom and it, it's much cooler with those bands once you get to their second and third records when you really hear them figuring out what they want to do. I was actually, I didn't even think of this. I started to keep it on a tangent, but I remember uh, you used to do in like one of the Charlotte culture magazines used to do a questionnaire series. I remember. And I remember way back my old band radio reds when we did it. And I think one of the questions was actually Slayer versus Metallica. And I was like racking my brain trying to think of it. I think I probably said Slayer. I think I changed my mind now. I was thinking a lot about it. Like, if you're just judging their best albums, like, it's just Metallica's first four to five records are just undeniable to me. Yeah, I, it's mainly like, so that was, I think, an ongoing question that I would, I can't even remember. I've done that kind of in so many different ways for things. Uh, I think that was like an odd boy thing. And I also used to do it in like the self-aware zine, I believe, in like every interview. Because, like, I think if people, if people don't have a connection with, like, metal anything, then that question means nothing to them. But yeah. if you grew up liking that kind of metal, then it's, that is so hard of a, a question. Like, I, I think I would probably answer that question differently every day. But I think for the past couple years, it's easily Metallica. But yeah, I, I wonder... I'm thinking now, and I don't think I've thought about the Metallica versus Slayer thing that much um, <laughs> lately, but I think a lot of it has to do with just kind of like the end of Slayer left a bad taste in my mouth. Like the more Tom Araya just kept saying shit, it was like triggered jokes kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's like at least with Metallica, they're, they're like embarrassing in a way that they're embarrassing together like it's like all of their interactions with just like Lars can be embarrassing but he hasn't really he hasn't none of them have seemed to like show outward kind of like edge lordy type tendencies or Trump support if they are that they're keeping it pretty quiet because I think they're just spending yeah. more time like going shopping in like Beverly Hills you know and yeah like do that yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I've always kind of assumed that James Hetfield is like a libertarian type. Probably. Yeah. I think I, you know, I think you know, like obviously down to the "Don't Tread on Me" song and <laughs> album cover, but I feel like they're a band to me that they're so in the spotlight, like they know they should not make any sort of sweeping grand statements like that. But even when James is kind of being a meathead like i watched like that a year in the life of metallica thing and it was it was such a classic just like rock and roll guys like looking at porno mags yeah. in the in the studio and just total just like classic like metalhead meathead kind of kind of thing james is both lyrically and i think saint saint anger and on uh, some kind of monster which i, I also did watch some kind of yeah. monster as a contrast piece uh He's such a thoughtful guy and a guy who is not afraid, especially in recent years, to say how how he's feeling. He doesn't have that sort of sarcastic douchebagginess that you get from somebody like Tom Araya. 
Yeah. I don't know. He's he's a guy like even when I I'm assuming me and him would not agree on most things politically. I don't know. I just can't help but love love James Hetfield. Like he's like the coolest person in the world, even still to me. Yeah, like there is still something, even though it's like cringy and weird. Like you know that kind of rockabilly esque like pinstripe truck kind of guy. Like I still oh, kind of yeah. like I'm like I'm kind of like watching that guy from a distance, and I'm like I know I'll never <laughs> yeah. be him. I don't want to be him. But it is still kind of like vaguely cool in some way if someone pulls it up, pulls it off. It's some kind of monster. He's got like a a necklace with like dice on it. Uh, Yeah, it's like uh, it would be really bad if I started doing that. But it's sort of like when you see (laughs) that done. Or really cool. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Like maybe. Well, you kind of like if you think about the way that um, Robert Trujillo plays bass, it's almost like he's playing it like a stand up bass. Um, so yeah. what he needs to do is really commit to a stand-up bass, Robert Trujillo, and they can really embrace like their kind of inner rockabilly. Like I could see a like Metallica rockabilly record at this point, you know, go like full Stray Cats. Yeah, yeah. It's like it'd still sound like Metallica, but it'd be like stand-up bass. The the album cover <laughs> would have like a, a lowered truck on it that has pinstriping. I mean, it'd be really bad, but you know, and I think he. I know Hatfield, like, I've seen him sing with, like, the kind of rockabilly mic. You know, those, like, old-timey mm-hmm. mics. So yeah. It's it's there, you know, for better or for worse. But kind of going back, I guess, the the kind of old guy politics of it, um, I, I could see James Hatfield being, like, kind of like how Ice-T is on, like, Twitter. Um, like, he's just, like, that kind of... Have you seen where someone's, like, left and right? It's just... It's all... <laughs> So left and right, it's just uh, different or different wings on the same bird is what they'll say. Yeah, like if, I feel like he seems like to me like the kind of guy who'd be like, you know, I hate both parties. I hate Republicans and Democrats, but then always ends up voting Republican. Yeah, that's always like, <laughs> like the thing that that's like it's like if you truly felt that way, you wouldn't just like one master or the other. But the, those the type of apolitical metal guy always seems to go conservative. So I'm always suspect mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. of those kind of guys that are, I don't care about politics. Cause then like fast forward five years into like that guy wearing Reeboks and he's saying something like, you know, transphobic, you know? So it's like, it's yeah. like, you're truly not apolitical because this is where you are now. <laughs> you know? No, it's funny. Even in the, the, uh, a year in a life in the, a year in a, a year and a half in the, in the life of Metallica as a tongue twister. At one point, like Kirk Hammett, he's like kind of drunk and goofing off. And he's like, George H.W. Bush is a fascist. And like you could see James Hetfield just kind of like look away. Yeah. I mean, I could see. I don't I, I feel like Kirk Hammett definitely is like uh, probably we'll just say kind of generally liberal. Yeah, but I agree. I also he, and he seems to me like the coolest, probably not like yeah. coolest, like cool because that's obviously James Hetfield. But like in terms of like most interesting person to talk to, it would probably be Kirk Hammett. Yeah, I mean, he, I feel like you would not that I can surf, but I'd want to go surfing with him. Yeah, yeah. and he's like, I mean, I, I do a horror movie podcast, and he's like this huge advocate for horror movies. Like he has like. All of these like 1920s, like Nosferatu posters and like 
he does like will travel to different horror conventions and do like his exhibits on stuff. Mm-hmm. He seems like somebody who's just like really into what he's into. Even if you like see pictures of him in the eighties, there's like a photo spread he did of him like with all of his like Mega Man toys and all this kind of stuff. He just like he's like a really big dork and he's like in the traditional sense, incredibly uncool, but it makes me love that about him. Yeah. Yeah. I think I could see, I guess if, uh, I could see you kind of losing him to that kind of yoga kind of QAnon thing. Cause I think he's probably yeah, like for sure. so sensitive in a weird way, but I'm going to just hope that all of them kind of are just moderately good people. And I'll kind of move away from, uh, from that aspect of it. Um, but you know, cause it's not like, like Dave Mustaine totally is gone. Like he's just horrible. a piece of yeah. shit. <laughs> like, do you remember the men's warehouse thing from a few years ago? I can't say I do. Okay. So he started posting, I believe, I believe it was through Megadeth's accounts, but whatever, we'll just say Dave Mustaine. And he was mad about a suit he bought at men's warehouse. And so he started like tagging men's warehouse and <laughs> he was like just shitting on the company. Like you, gave me a shitty suit like and it just what do you mean this suit doesn't fit me yeah yeah it was <laughs> insane and like like metal sucks and all the kind of metal rags at the time like picked it up you know and kind of like that got a lot of traction but it was just the most bonkers ass shit ever that dave mustaine would publicly talk about fucking men's warehouse yeah i think one of the things i mean to go back to even as early as ride the lightning one of the things that makes metallica so cool to me is they're very much like a uh, the sum is greater, the equal is greater than the sum of its parts. To where Megadeth is just kind of one guy. Yeah. I mean, you've got like Marty Friedman, and like they had like people coming and going, or even like Slayer is kind of like two guys. Yeah. It's it's Kerry King Tumurai. I mean, Jeff Hanneman is my guy. He's my favorite guy of that band. Rest in peace. Uh, and Dave Lombardo, he kind of came and went. So it's always the kind of this like clash of the two people. Whereas with Metallica, it's so much of a group of individual parts. It's like the Beatles to me. It, like to me, to, like to be into Metallica is to be into like the weird inner dynamics of Metallica that are so interesting. Yeah. Because like Lars, not a great drummer, but he what he does is so perfect for Metallica. Like if you had like a Dave Lombardo from Slayer playing with Metallica. I've seen the, there was a live concert once and he played with them and it was like cool. It was like a, this cool like kind of like dream team thing, but it's not what Metallica needs. And same with Kirk. Kirk is not as good as Dave Mustaine as a guitarist, but what he does is so tasteful and feels so good that it just makes sense. Yeah. And then James Hetfield is just the shit. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I mean I I totally agree with that. I mean, I think that too the weird thing with Lars has been like when you watch some kind of monster, it's just like Hetfield asking him just to play a straightforward beat, and he can. I was literally can, just watching that. Part. He can do that. I don't know. It sounds kind of stuck. Yeah, and that's <laughs> the thing. I think he's become worse because he's like tried to push against like his own limitations and limitations, even in like a positive sense. It's like I'm not, like personally, it's like I'm not that great of a bass player, and I feel like if I tried to reach for things that aren't my style. Then I then I'm gonna really show more of what I can't do, and so yeah. it's like more and more. It's like he's going against the beat because it's like he's trying to overcomplicate it or make it more interesting. But it's really just like 
sometimes you just have to be able to uh, definitely as a bassist and as a drummer know if you're serving the song and i think in like metallica after uh black album there's a lot of not serving the song just kind of going off in these weird territories that aren't like weird territories like voivod or something you know it's like yeah it's just like it's like i see where the the one and the two are but i'm going to do some other thing that's just like overcomplicated like ringo wouldn't do that you know (laughs) it's like if we're comparing the two it's like ringo just does ringo's job and that's great you know everyone doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be like someone recently on on, uh, chris terry i guess on this episode said like sometimes things just like you don't need to be like walking and doing backflips all the uh, you know at the same time just sometimes you Mm -hmm. just need to walk you know (laughs) like it's like if lars can do all of that but he just chooses not to now so so i don't know i guess the lars hater podcast but but then like to give like larson props opening song of ride the lightning fight fire with fire he kills it on that record like that double kick part kicks ass yeah it's just the thing is just i think scott kelly from neurosis once said this about metallica it's just like they get an eternal pass because those early records are just so good and there's so many cool tasteful choices all over ride the lightning uh, even uh, on the song like For Whom the Bell Tolls, which is like, to me, just like one of the coolest songs of all time. There's so many things that could have like overcomplicated the drum beat to like that 20, like 2002 Lars or 1997 Lars would have tried to like fill in all these like open spots. But it's so sparse and heavy and minimal. And... It just fits the songs and it's really cool and just simple and heavy. Yeah, everyone feels like they're kind of serving the song and just fitting in where they need to. And also when you think about like albums, the way that they were recorded in the 80s, like when I'm comparing it to like some kind of monster, it's like so much of it was like almost like a copy and paste thing. Like he wouldn't have really been able to do that at this point. So that has to be Lars... So you, it's like, it even makes it more frustrating because back to what you're saying with like fight fire with fire, you know, he can do it. Like, like it's like on all of the songs on this record, like if we're using that as like an eighties comparison, they had to have been recorded to tape. So he yeah. had to do a performance that worked like it's there. <laughs> it exists. Yeah. So I don't know what the fuck he's he's doing now because i mean i think he's an amazing drummer in this in this sense like maybe i guess not comparatively to like i don't know i don't even know why i'm using this guy as a comparison but joey jordison's a great drummer metallica yeah, yeah, doesn't he did the have same thing with yeah, dave lombardo like, too of also filling in with them he doesn't they don't need to have joey jordison as the drummer I, I i agree with you that i think it's it would be kind of distracting like almost like having like Travis Barker doesn't need to do Travis Barker all the time. You that's know, and the, sometimes that can be... That's the best example of it. When you watch the videos, and like, just do, like, a 4-4 punk beat. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't have to do all these, like, rim shots all over the place. Yeah. I mean, most of the time, it's like, you're kind of like, that's cool. But, you know, yeah. other times, it's like, when you comparatively have someone like Lars, it's like, less is more. And I think this is a, a great example of less being more. Because even there's... Um, I'm trying to think of what it might be for whom the bell tolls. Uh, just even when you think about like the guitar part on it, 
Um, or just they they have a lot of like rhythm guitar that just kind of rings out. Yeah. And it's just like that's all that needs. It's just so strong. I mean, and honestly, I I even though like James Hetfield obviously gets all of the spotlight for being the singer and the lyricist and everything and like the face of the band, he is so underrated as a rhythm guitarist. I, over the last couple years, you know, I've been playing guitar in a band and like I just started a new band and basically it's just been me trying to do that James Hetfield sort of rhythm playing and it's insane. I still yeah. can't play the riff to Blackened. Maybe that means I'm just a bad guitarist, <laughs> but he's so tight as a player. It's insane. And it's like he does that like a uh, sort of Johnny Ramone all down picking stuff. I'm just like, how can a human being do that? It's crazy to me. Yeah. And maybe it's like I said, maybe it's just because I have low expectations of what I expect from musicians from listening to hardcore punk for so long. Yeah. But they're just like really great. I mean, and I don't even think we mentioned him of Cliff Burton's contributions to the band. I, I feel like Ride the Lightning was his first album where he really shines. Obviously, on the first record, Kill 'em All, you have Anesthesia pulling teeth, which is like just him soloing. But outside of that, you don't really get to see him shine. And his contributions to that, the second and third Metallica records are really evident in like the sort of orchestral vibe and all the harmonies and this like grand scope and not to mention Cliff Burton just seems like the coolest guy. Apparently he was like the one who was like introducing them to a lot of stuff like the misfits, but then he was also really into like classical music and like Leonard Skinner and stuff. Yeah. I mean, he definitely feels like they're, um, yeah. I mean like, it's like if you brought a song to practice and then there was a guy that was kind of like, what if we take it here? Like, yeah. So even if he's not, you know, the songwriter in the way that he's like kind of sitting there and like coming up with it, the, the contributions that seem to exist while he was alive are undeniable. And like with, with the kind of the history of like Kill 'Em All, I guess, so we kind of state it, it's like they're, I mean, he's clearly on that record, but I think a lot of what they wrote with Kill 'Em All was probably like almost like pre Cliff Burton with like Shane governor i think is his name ron mcgovney i think his name i think and then obviously like dave mustaine also wrote a lot of that record too yeah um but yeah i mean it's like the and the whole idea of like something like anesthesia um that feels like such like 80s uh van halen-esque kind of thing it's like it's It's like eruption yeah it's like the base eruption yeah it's like it's one of those things where i can imagine that they had ron for a while and he's probably you know a great bassist you know but it was just like when they get that new guy in it's like we need to tell broadcast how good this guy is so while people need to know people need to know (laughs) so it's like if you have a really good drummer like so many like jam bands will do this i'm like scarred from experiencing it as like a kid growing up in wilmington north carolina um there were always like jam bands where it's like they let their drummer go on a solo like that old kind of old trope you know, but that was still definitely evident at that point and like kill them all. So what 80 was that album came out in 82, 82. I, I'm pretty sure it was 82. And then the next year was the huge level up. Yeah. Uh, 83. Yeah. And then I think 85 was Master of Puppets. I think well, I 84 correctly. is Ride the Lightning. 86 is Master of Puppets. Mm. And basically every okay. two years. So I'm not sure it could be. um 
you know, I, I'm not exactly 100% sure when Kill 'Em All came out. For some reason, I'm thinking uh, 81 in my head, and I really want to be right. I think they formed in 81, I want to say. Let's see. Uh, As much as I love Metallica, like, I'm sure there's a million people who know them so much better than me. Uh, So 83 and then the next year. So that's a big big level up uh, in exactly a year because July 25th is when, uh, 83 is when Kill 'Em All came out. So probably what I would suspect, I mean, it kind of answered it, but... It's like they were playing those songs for a good while, Kill 'em All, like, you know, and then probably taking out, like, the Diamond Head covers and everything. And then eventually, yeah. so it's like the turnaround was quick, but it's like the first album was gestating so long that, you know, it's it's a much different animal by that point. But I guess going kind of back into the, you know, like, produced by Fleming Rasmussen, like we mentioned, and Mark Whitaker, I honestly don't know too much about what they did did with other records if you know all i know is they did one of the best records by morbid angel okay. covenant mm. that's all i know about them all other than that i know like they did like some like power metal records i think by like blind guardian and oh, stuff okay. like that but i don't really yeah and so yeah they recorded much, it in uh sweden in sweden yeah yeah so that's kind of wild especially for that time uh just kind of like thinking of you know that type of thrash metal because because i think it was really with with this record is what kind of propelled them to in a way like what we know them today because one of the things i was reading was right around the time that they were kind of working on this they were trying to plan like a european tour with like exciter i believe and yeah uh, like right. that didn't come to fruition because of like low ticket sales <laughs> So, you know, that essentially says, like, this album really put them on the map. So anything mm-hmm. before, they're probably, any of our bands would be excited to probably be at the point they were with, like, Kill 'em All, but put them in a different place. Yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And now, I'm curious, because I feel like the big thing for with a lot of Metallica fans is Ride the Line Your Master Puppets. Where do you stand on that? Um, I think... I'm thinking it's Master really of Puppets, hard. but, it's really but I hard. also, it, it's just like I've spent the last week or so listening to this record, so now yeah. I feel like I just want to listen to Master of Puppets. Like, so I, I, yeah. I think that's honestly what it is. Like I, I, I too should have done the exercise of, you know, kind of checking, you know, kind of, but the thing is, there was a point in my high school years there wasn't much more that I listened to. Like I, pro- I was discovering new things, but the constant mm-hmm. rotation for me, like uh, probably like eleventh grade, like tenth, eleventh grade, was uh, was any Metallica. Like for most of my high school years, like that was just all I listened yeah. to for the most part. Like when I got a car, like I had, I had Rain and Blood, and I had uh, Master of Puppets, and and I think like Iron Maiden, the Rock and Rio Live. So those were the, pretty much the only three CDs I listened to most of the time, <laughs> until I got uh, Blizzard of Oz, and then that was hell yeah one of the ones too. So I mean, I'm not really sure where I'm going with that, but it, but it's like I don't. It's almost like the thought of like listening to Minor Threat now, where it's yeah. like I've spent so much time with it, I don't feel like i need to revisit it mm-hmm. but i also still find myself revisiting old metallica like 
every few months. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny you say that. You know, I mentioned like a band like Minor Threat because that's how I kind of feel about a band like Black Flag. I love Black Flag. I got a Black Flag tattoo. They changed my life. They're the reason why I'm where I am today. I don't really put them on too much. And it's the same way with a lot of early bands I liked. Minor Threat's kind of in the same area, although I listen to them a little bit more. But like Metallica, I still listen to them all the damn time. I, I think it's just one of those things. It's because the thing that differentiates bands I love and my favorite bands is that sort of pop songwriting ability that I think Metallica has. And I think this is the album where you really get that with them. I would much like for like Kill 'Em All for like straight thrash metal. I would much sooner rather listen to Exodus or Violence or Nuclear Assault or you know even like modern stuff. Like I would rather put on Power Trip than I'd rather put on Kill 'Em All. But Ride the Lightning is just one of those like transcendentally great records to me, and. To me, the difference between like Ride the Lightning and Master Puppets is because what's interesting to me about them is they have like the exact same sequencing, which is really weird to look at. Like if you look at like track by track, they really like follow the same flow. And it seems to me like the only difference is that like Ride the Lightning kind of still has like one foot in like earlier heavy metal and that new wave of British heavy metal vibe like you got the reverb on the vocals it's much more like almost like cavernous feeling you have that sort of thing that you see in like Venom records whereas and I love Master Puppets but that's one when you get to that just like straight crossover appeal like just huge rock vibe to it yeah yeah definitely I was kind of thinking since we're both uh, when you when you sent over your three records, like I don't think mm-hmm. I've had a harder time uh, picking between. We have very similar taste in music, I think. <laughs> yeah, so it was like one of the things is like sometimes I don't talk about the things that I mean. I mention neurosis every fucking episode of this, um, so yeah. people probably know that I like neurosis because I bring them up every chance I get. But they're, they're a religious sort of band <laughs> yeah. to me. But I I also think that I don't. I don't really discuss how big, like, like you brought, uh, let me think of the record you brought to me. It was, well, this one, of course, uh, Metallica, Red, the Lightning, and uh, Neurosis Through Silver and Blood, and uh, Who's Do which album again? I think it's Zen Arcade. I believe so, yes. Um, yeah. So that was like, uh, but the thing that made it easier, that's not like my favorite Who's Do record. What is your favorite? Uh, I don't mean to go into a Husker Du hole, but well, I think we're two of like the biggest Husker Du fans I know. <laughs> yeah, um, ah, that's kind of a that's almost like the Metallica thing where it's kind of like what mood am I in at that yeah. moment? But I would probably weirdly enough say lately it's been like Candy Apple Gray, and that's that not yeah, it's the it's one, it's fantastic. Like kind of more punk ended uh, Husker Du fans. That's not seemingly the one that they'll pick. Um, yeah. But I think it also has that transitional kind of thing too. Um, you know, like New Day Rising is great, but it also it's like it has really bad production. Like it ruins that record. It, for me. It really there's does. like there's about six songs on that record that I adore. A lot of it I just can't listen to. It yeah. just really kills it for me. Yeah, like a lot of the SST stuff. I guess going into that since we are um, has just really just dog shit production. Like you know, Zin Arcade <laughs> to me is like the perfect. Yeah perfect meeting ground of it because once you hit 
New Day Rising, it gets so washed out and just like unlistenable to me. And then flip your wig, it gets too clean mm. to me. And that, to me, like Zen Arcade's like the perfect like mix of the two. Yeah, I mean, a lot of SST stuff that I love a lot, kind of going back to Black Flag. Um, My War is you know, like a great example. It's yeah, like. There's always going to be some issue in the production of mm-hmm. any sort of SST thing. And it's like kind of which which one. It's like this might have the better song. Like sometimes Black Flag, or really you could say it's about every SST thing. It's like this maybe has the best song, but it's like shitty production. But this one has mm-hmm. not as good song, but production's better. There's always like some kind of issue yeah, and it kind absolutely. of you know, goes in and out. And like Black Flag has that, Who's Could Do has that. Um Minutemen, some reason it works. <laughs> yeah, you know? they're pretty much untouchable. They're they're such a singular vision. Yeah, to me. and but I guess I guess going back to the, the this was really hard to kind of pick one. Mm-hmm. So what I went with what a lot of times what I go with is the thing that I wouldn't normally pick. Uh, yeah. But I had already been revisiting a lot of the Metallica catalog, so it was just kind of like a oh yeah I can do that like. <laughs> right away so that made it hard but that was the hardest decision i've ever had on it so i I think one of the reasons why i was glad you picked uh ride the lightning as opposed to zen arcade it reminds me of when on my podcast toxic schluck listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts uh somebody picked an, an episode of alien alien is my favorite movie of all time i like i'm gonna know alien obsessive it's really hard for me to talk about that movie because I'm so deep into it. Like it's, it's like a part of my identity where I don't even know where to start. And like, that's how like Zen Arcade is for me. I think, yeah, I think Where's Metallica. I, I can talk about Metallica literally all day. Yeah. That's basically the point I was, I was trying to get. It was just like, I worry that like who screwed is so baked into me. I guess the mm-hmm. one thing it's like, I don't know if I can talk about it too. Um, I don't sometimes I don't know if I actually talk about it enough because I'm afraid that I'll talk about it too much. <laughs> yeah. So then I literally like, cried uh, when I saw Bob Mole in like 2018. <laughs> it was it was bad. Yeah. But I, no, he was great. Have but. you ever I guess like have you ever seen Metallica in concert? I've never seen Metallica. You know, it's funny is a lot of my favorite bands of all time. Like those kind of like big arena bands. Haven't seen them. Mm-hmm. Never seen Green Day. Never seen Metallica. And I love these bands. I, I love them so much. Like Metallica, I would love to see them. I think the times when they were touring the most, which like I think they were touring like Death Magnetic a lot when I was in high school, which would be like, I don't know, 2009, 10, like the back half of my high school experience. I just didn't have money to see them at the time. And if I did see them at the time, I would have had like terrible seats. And there's certain bands where if I see them, I want to see them up close. Like, that's the reason I haven't seen Green Day. Because, like, when last time they tore through, like, I couldn't afford pet tickets. I could afford lawn tickets. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sit in the in the lawn and watch Metallica, so to speak. Yeah, I don't think I now, want. I don't. I am not wealthy, but I could afford I could afford I it could now. save some money. Yeah. I could save that whatever 150 bucks, 200 bucks to get in, in the Metallica bit. And that's... I've... That's been a recent thing for me over like the last two years. Yeah, it's like within the past like few months for me. Like, like yeah. I could. I mean, it'd still be like 
you know, it's definitely not like it would a, set me back. It set me I back. Could, like we feel it, it, but you know, just so people know, we're not like rolling now. But uh, heavens no. <laughs> but you know, I could feasibly do it. But I, I agree with you. But I did see. I've always been worried about that, and I think that's coming from, you know, just like small room punk shows is essentially mm-hmm. what we've come up with. Um, I guess DIY is a p- term people are using, but that's becoming like a different thing. That's like an that's like it's a genre punk. now. I get so annoyed by the DIY as a genre. Yeah, arbitrary. Sorry, uh, but um, like I so I worry about seeing bands that I really like in bigger spaces. Um, and so I but I did get a chance a couple years ago to see Iron Maiden, and oh, yeah. uh, because they have like a backdrop, um, so the show started. And it was Ghost. And I'm not like a Ghost fan, but I don't have anything really else to say about the band. I just don't know. Um, but they started playing it at daytime. Watching a band in that big of an arena, like outside pavilion thing in Charlotte, it was very tough. Like, they, it's yeah. not there. The the things is, too, it's like it, they weren't headlining, so they don't get to bring all their frills, and they do like they don't get all the perks. So it's it's weird. It just makes me think of that Henry Rollins thing about seeing uh, like Marilyn Manson uh, in the middle of the day in like a European festival in the '90s, and he said his, his joke that I've told a bunch of times is uh, it's like half dead guys at a barbecue. Uh, <laughs> it's like what it feels like, and that's all I could think when I was watching Ghost. Um, but then it's like you know. It gets dark and like when Iron Maiden comes out, like and they have like the they have lights and they have like the backdrops and they have like video screens. I'm like, I get it now, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like it's like so, and I, I've seen Slayer in a big space, but it wasn't as big as uh, what Iron Maiden played. So I'm, but what I'm saying is, I'm always afraid one to see a band that I love so much you know be like limping along you know so it's almost like mm-hmm. i just choose to just not think that they exist anymore. yeah no absolutely mm-hmm. and metallica i mean i've I, there i'm like the kind of person who like when i get bored i like a set list off dot, dot fm mm-hmm. metallica seems to play pretty cool set lists and i would love to see them like granted like james's voice isn't nearly as cool as it used to be yeah. but it does seem like they're pretty cool nowadays and it seems like they as opposed to them in like 2001 take some pretty cool bands on tour which i do think is cool now like i remember like they were such a trend chasing band for a while of like the saint anger tour it was like them and godsmack and limp biscuit and stuff but over the last like 10 years it's been them and like baroness and uh, culture talk and uh high on fire and it seems like they at least kind of try to keep their ear to the ground a little bit on metal. Yeah. And, and I do appreciate that Metallica always seemed to be like, kind of like the people's band in a way. Like if you watch like interviews with them, like they always do like meet and greets every night and they always will do like special, like fan engagement things. Like they never like, at least over the last 20 years, they don't have that like cool guy vibe. Like they're very much just like, open and like fan oriented which yeah. is pretty cool to me they definitely have always been like working man's kind of metal into working man's rock i guess you know kind of like yeah tons of people that i know that live in like 
rural areas, they're gonna love Metallica more than like ever listen to Slayer. Like, yeah, absolutely. And I will say, like, I, I was watching like the year year and a life, <laughs> a year and a half in the life of Metallica. You do a drinking game for every time I mess that up. Um, like they do all these like audience shots, and it's it is all just like kind of like Middle America, like woo, yeah. like. Metallica, they rock so hard. But it is cool to me, though, that James Hetfield is a pretty thoughtful lyricist, especially after the first record. And and to me, like they, they do references, they'll, they'll do like Hemingway references and they'll do like Lovecraft references, but they do in a way that feels really clever and emotional and smart. Uh, I I really like Anthrax. I don't love Anthrax. I really like them. But like them, it's just like they'll narrate uh, Judge Dread stories. And yeah. It's like so obvious, and it's not really clever, and it just kind of feels very like on the nose. Whereas Metallica, like they really like take these kind of interesting literary sides of things, but they like bake it into the songs to make it feel emotional. Mm-hmm. Which which is the big difference to me between Metallica and all your your Slayers of the World, which I love Slayer, but. I couldn't imagine many other any other thrash band really doing a song like Fade to Black. And that's what makes them so great to me is the fact that they would do something like that. Would you um okay, so for an exercise, rate uh the big four. Metallica Slayer, Anthrax, Megadeth. And would you replace someone of the big four with another band? If I'm allowed to take somebody from a a, a abroad, toss out Megadeth, throw in Sepultura. Hmm. Sepultura is to me like probably my second favorite metal band. I, I mean, I, I love that band. If not them, you could certainly throw Exodus in there. Exodus is great, a great band. It's kind of entertaining. Those early. I feel like if if this would have been like uh, us talking like let's say ten years ago, I would have said Exodus all the way. Was that probably Meth Mountain years at that point? Yeah, but I was still like a big Megadeth <laughs> fan, so it's it's tough. Uh, it's... See, I never took the deep dive on Megadeth. Like, I like Peace Cells, but like, I never like, I was never thought about buying a Megadeth shirt. If you know what I mean? Oh yeah, I passed up on one and I regret it. Like, I saw one in a thrift store and it was like twenty five bucks. But I just have this thing where I'm like, I don't want to spend more than twenty bucks on a t shirt, like ever. It's totally fair. Uh, but like, uh, now I'm just like. There were two two thrift instance, instances that I really fucked up on. There was a Madball uh, hoodie for like 15 bucks that I <laughs> passed up on. Um, and there was uh, that Megadeth shirt. And it was like a Megadeth tour shirt. Um, and it was like 25 bucks. <laughs> and it was like an earlier Megadeth shirt. It might have been like a reprint or whatnot, but it was still... Oh, yeah, I probably would have bought that regardless. Just Yeah, it was really <laughs> stupid. Value, uh, but else. for like a long time, like when I met well my now wife, um, I had a Megadeth belt buckle for a really long time. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, so I don't really understand like why... Like what I don't know what really happened to me, and this is rhetorical really, like why am I not like just a metal guy? Like it makes no sense that I play in the, the basically the, probably the reason I play in the bands that I'm in is just my talent. Like I've never been yeah. really talented enough 
to probably play metal. <laughs> like straight I mean, To be honest, like I've always just been so interested in musicians who are huge fans of aggressive music but don't play yeah. aggressive music. Like a band like like Super Chunk to me comes to mind, or obviously like the Mountain Goats. Like I've low-key like always wanted to be that guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of the guy in the in the indie rocker alt country band wearing like the i don't know like the sepultura shirt or something definitely like i i always like that guy but i also feel like sometimes it's it's like a i worry like sometimes if i let's say if i'm wearing like an obituary shirt to like a late bloomer <clears throat> show i worry that it's sort of like see i like heavy music and you're like broadcasting it to like anytime yeah, i wear my sure. crash shirt i'm like is this a little try hard you know like if I wore it to a show, but it's, I guess I'm just a tryhard. So, you know, it's funny. I think in retrospect, uh, in the old band I was in Radio Reds is like, I definitely like, I, I probably did the tryhard thing. It's like, yeah, I'm in this like, you know, poppy punk band, but I wear Los Crudos shirts. So yeah. we're like punk. I think what's worse about it. And I think it's probably fine to just be that person. But whenever you see a band and it feels like everyone is kind of musically playing a different style of music just because they want to broadcast it that way that's when it gets that's when it gets really bad it's like when i i feel like and i hope this is true like any of the times my bands play shows now it's like i'm not trying to broadcast to the audience that i like hardcore (laughs) you know like while i'm playing you know like the way i play you know so hopefully (laughs) that happens you know um but one of the things i guess even going back to actually talk about ride the lightning is when i was doing (laughs) notes on it i noticed that they credited uh dave mustaine with ride the lightning and call of cthulhu Mm -hmm. and i i mean i guess simply they wrote those songs when he was still in the band so that kind of or like had like demoed them like ideas behind them or something yeah but I, i thought that that was interesting but it's not entirely surprising you know yeah i mean i i i think it's kind of telling with the band when you can kind of see who still has their fingerprints on the band with kill em all and right the lightning obviously especially with kill em all you have very significant fingerprints from from dave Mustaine on them and then even when cliff burton died you can still kind of see his influence on stuff like Injustice for All. And then it's like once that influence is taken out, it is significant. Yeah, I really think his role was like because you were mentioning uh, going back to the thing where he was really into classical music. I think he made sure a lot of those elements were present in the way that they probably like wrote transitions because there's a point, you know, and I know he's like credited for stuff on Injustice for All. But I also think that a lot of what, to his credit, is almost like kind of the ideas behind Injustice for All, uh, where it kind of goes into vaguely kind of class struggles and kind of the justice system, as the title, you know, kind of says. And so that seems like it kind of gets kind of lofty in a way. And then kind of like the, I guess, like, you know, Johnny gets God is gone and stuff like that. Like, you know, definitely Mm -hmm. feels like that kind of literary connections that he uh, connected, but then when you get into load, it's you know Mission Impossible soundtrack music, you know. Yeah, you know it's it's just at that point you have bands who th- have a band who was actually pretty smart and artistic in in the eighties, 
but then for lack of a better term it's just really just like the smelling your own farts kind of thing of just like really thinking you are an artist i mean even now like james will talk about like the artwork to load and reload where it's like what is it it's like common blood i think mixed i think that's like the album art and he'll be like yeah i don't know what was going on like lars was on some some artsy trip and then if you watch like some kind of monster you'll see like lars like selling his art collections and like trying to be like an artiste and it's just like really telling that it's just this band really trying hard to be like like art because they're like ashamed to just be like a metal band yeah that that is Ah, oh, that makes me think of uh, w- me and Neil uh, and Late Bloomer again. Yeah. Um, keep name dropping my own band. Um, so band. <laughs> <laughs> um, we kind of talk about like we like early Goo Goo Dolls a lot. Um, I, oh, and like, I could have done an entire episode on Boy Named Goo. Yeah. Love that record. So it's kind of like, what's the point that it falls off? Because I used to say with uh, with Goo Goo Dolls, it's it's Boy Named Goo. But yeah. I have, and I can't even think of the album afterwards. Iris, right, is the name. Dizzy of the, up the girl. Dizzy up the girl. Yes. Okay. Um, kind of shows how little I've listened to it. Yeah, you're just like I threw it out of my brain. <laughs> I did revisit it within the last year, and I don't hate it anymore. Yeah, like it, it's it's got tracks. I used uh, to just kind of like <laughs> the first time that I really even heard about Goo Goo Dolls was because of like the City of Angels soundtrack. So it's like mm-hmm. it painted it, and then people just for years were just like. You have to listen to Boy Named Goo. And then I kind of went all the way back. But they are truly a representation of a band that just seemed to like kind of believe their own shit. And I think that's just kind of what happens. And that's not even to their discredit. I think a lot of people are kind of telling you yes. And so you almost Mm -hmm. like you hope that you kind of stay the people, you know, kind of people person or the, uh, you know, I guess the working man's person, you know, and you understand where you came from. But how that would be so hard. Like they just simply can't Metallica can't be and comparatively Goo Goo Dolls. They just simply can't be the same people they were that when they wrote even Injustice for All, obviously Ride the Lightning. Yeah. It's it's like what is your life then? It's like like big comedians that go back and, you know, try and do like comedy specials, but it's like they've been millionaires for like twenty five years and it's like you can't. <laughs> yeah. It's that whole thing of like being hungry, and there's nothing wrong with not being at that place anymore. Yeah. Because, like with Metallica, everything they did went off without a hitch. It was a huge success. So, I get why you would have that sort of loss of perception of reality yeah. of, of what's good. And to me, I, I keep going back to these documentaries I watched, but it was really telling to me of of a year and a half in the life of Metallica <laughs> is you have a band who that to me was the peak of them just really being hungry and pushing and but kind of getting a little out there. You know, they're doing like some sitars and stuff. They've got like uh, saying prayers with boys like on Inner Sandman and stuff. And to me, it's like that's them at the height of them kind of losing touch with reality, but also being on the pulse. And once you get to like St. Anger and some kind of monster, you have people who just do not know what's going on anymore. They have just not only lost touch with themselves as a band, but just 
what sounds good because they've had 15 years of people telling them that their shit doesn't stink. Yeah, I think like it's like the idea of I I feel I wonder if I wonder if uh, if someone in Metallica wants to reach someone else in Metallica, do they have to go through their assistants? You know, like it's like it's very possible. Or it's like, do they have to call a meeting? Like it's like, do bands? And I can't think of who I was thinking. It wasn't Metallica, but even the same way, it's like, do they really get in the room and just like kind of jam? I know they do when they have to do like a record, but it's like. It's like, do they ever, do bands of the size ever have like a movie night or hang out with their like, yeah. bandmates? Like maybe it is that organic and, you know, discredit, but it doesn't, when you watch some kind of monster, it doesn't feel that way. It's like Lars assistant will talk to James's assistant and, you know, that yeah. idea, it's like, you're not doing a band in the, the way that it would operate normally. There's the deleted scene in the movie where they're going to do like a secret show and beforehand they meet at Kirk's house and they're all sitting in Kirk's house and Kirk is like really into horror. So he's got like all these like coffins and he's got all these like kind of creepy things and skulls and stuff. And he's like showing them around this house that he's lived in for a while. They've never been in his house. And James is just like looking around and you can kind of read him of like, he thinks like Kirk is so weird and like he like doesn't actually like know who he is. And it's crazy. Yeah. I don't think that they're like buddies and like that's okay. But it's 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 almost like this whole just like soap opera to me of of like the rise of Metallica. And and I mean like like we're talking about like them having guest men and stuff. It's just to me, Ride the Lightning is the perfect middle ground of them really trying to expand creatively without thinking that they're infallible yeah yeah (laughs) um i guess one other kind of thought exercise if you were to cut one track from uh ride the lightning what would you pick if you had to so i know most people would pick escape I actually really, really like Escape. I think that song rules. It, it's it's funny because that's like the song that's only been played live once at the... I, I watched it last night. It was at the Orion Festival in 2012. Uh, and it was only because they were playing all of Ride the Lightning. Mm. And historically, James has written off that song. Like, oh, I hate that song. And they've said that like th- that was us trying to be like commercial and that's so ridiculous to me because like it doesn't sound commercial it just sounds more of like a, like a judas priest uh yeah. you've got another thing coming kind of like that head nodding kind of vibe but i think that song rules if i had to slash one song this might be hypocrisy to some i would probably say trapped under ice to me like trapped under ice is like a cool song it's like good it's just like to me it sounds like it could have been on on a uh, kill em all where it's just like a cool thrash metal song but it's not like it's not creeping death where it's just like incredible mm-hmm. yeah i well i'm surprised you picked the same one as me that's definitely hey. like, when i'm listening <laughs> to it that is totally the one i want to skip only the, for the same reason like it really feels like early metallica and that's not what i want from this album like yeah like it just doesn't feel like it fits in it just feels like it's there to kind of remind people in 1984 that hey we're still a thrash metal band of the time yeah you know and, and it's, it's a good it's a, it's good, a good thrash song. metal yeah. song but it's like i never 
I guess going back to what I said at the beginning was just like, I never thought that they were like the best thrash metal band, but that's not what I ever really like wanted out of them. You know, like I think that they are yeah. a good heavy rock band, you know? Um, yeah. Like heavy metal, not thrash metal, you know? Um, so yes, trapped under ice, but I, but I will say, I don't think that you should really cut anything from this record. And that's not how I normally feel on any of these episodes. I always feel like there's, one or a couple tracks that it's like this album could be a little shorter you know it doesn't need to be it's such a lean record yeah it's not that long it's it's like paranoid by by or any of those early black Sabbath records where it's just like it's like eight songs it's like get in and get out of just a handful of really great songs and and ride the lightning like i said like master puppets literally does the exact same thing in terms of sequencing of They do such a good job of keeping the listener's attention. You have the opening song, you got the cool acoustic intro, then you have like the really fast ripping thrash, then you have second and third, second song, really cool title track, uh, just like cool threat, another like kind of slower thrash song, then third song, you have slower mid tempo kick ass song, fourth song, you have cool ballad. And then and then so on and so forth and then ending with like a cool instrumental. And I I just don't think that other bands of that era were having that sort of mind for like minimalism and sequencing. Like I love Rain and Blood. I, I think that record is just so sick. I know I keep using that as like a way of like saying uh, before I criticize Slayer, yeah. but I really love Slayer. And like Rain and Blood to me is like the best example of just like blaze through it. But it all feels so very, like, just straightforward, all ripping, all killer, no filler, which is awesome. Yeah. But Metallica really makes it feel like this is just, like, up and down roller coaster kind of thing. And I don't think anybody else is doing that. And, like, Fade to Black, to me, having that song in there is just so cool because I like ballads and I like, like, the slow song. And, like... Some of my favorite Black Sabbath songs are songs like Planet Caravan and Changes mm-hmm. and Solitude. The songs that people are always like, oh, throw that song out of there. It's stupid. It throws off the whole record. I love that. I love having these like really earnest numbers in it. Yeah, I I don't know what that is about me. I, I definitely like am drawn to ballads. I did this thing when I was younger where my brother was getting me into like whatever punk bands and stuff. And like, I think it was, I think really the band that kind of made me change course was, uh, the exploited. And Mm -hmm. I was kind of like, I don't think I like punk as much as I thought I did. (laughs) And so then I purposely, I don't don't purpose or I, I purposely just, I went out and got like a, I don't know, like hair band compilation thing. And then just like to basically become my own person outside of my brother and just was like, I like hair metal now. And then that kind of just led me uh, that uh, that ironic tinge led me into like metal for real. Yeah, the uh, first Motley Crue record rips. Yeah, it does. And like so <laughs> many like kind of uh hair bands before it really just became more of the winger types or like Great White and kind of when it really went into ballads that's that's usually not that great. Yeah. But I love what well, all that to say like I love ballads too like if you can throw that into an otherwise like heavy record or like you said, like songs like changes, those are the ones that I uh, feel drawn to a lot. 
as as well. Um, yeah, it's yeah. just agreeing with you. Um, I guess before, kind of like as we slowly wrap up, um, I'm kind of curious like how you came to metal slightly kind of knowing the way that you were raised, but we don't have to get into that if it's like a weird... Oh, no, it's cool. I'm an open book about this stuff. Um, At the the risk of getting like really just like open and I'm you don't have to edit this out um so like when I when I was early on I in my life I was like very much like this like goofy happy-go-lucky kid I was like the the you know first grade life of the party I was always the person making jokes and I still kind of do that um when my parents divorced when I was in third yeah third grade I instantly became a really angry person and like a really hyper emotional person. And I think it partially it's because um, there's like a history of mental illness in my family of depression, anxiety, and it hit me like a train and I just like never knew how to deal with it. And when I started getting into aggressive music, it just really made me feel understood. And especially I, I I hate to get so emotional about Metallica because <laughs> they're like some people will just like Ugh, it's like stupid mainstream music, but like Metallica were a band that kind of hit me on all sides of how I was feeling when I was growing up in a way that like a lot of hardcore punk I play hardcore punk for the last ten years and it's so important to me, but a band like Metallica they really hit me on those sort of like depressive emotional feelings that you don't really get in a lot of other aggressive bands. And when I remember when I first got into them, it was just like, they're a band that made me feel like it was cool to be like angry. It was cool to uh, seek and destroy. I know how corny that sounds, but then it also was really cool to hear a band that allowed you to feel like misunderstood and to feel like you want to die. And, and there wasn't really any other metal bands. Like, I I guess you were getting that in like corn or like Slipknot stuff, but like that didn't hit me where I live in the same way. Definitely not. I mean, I I feel like I agree in the way that like, even just, I feel like thinking back to the first time I heard like fade to black, like it's yeah. like but it, it yeah, almost makes exactly. me think of more of like how i felt when i heard like adam song for the first time like by like yeah, 182 it's it's pretty comparable <laughs> like, we're of, of these people who are putting on this certain image like kind of we're gonna get real real quick yeah like that definitely like hit me in that way for sure emotional where it's like it's like i mean for one i never really got into like corn i think it's just like a generational thing um yeah, with that like it. but you know i like something yeah definitely if bands kind of go that kind of route like a lot of ride to light ride the lightning does um yeah it's it's right up my alley like if you're kind of talking about kind of if you're coupling like depressive type things with aggressive then that's where my mind lives like at all times like if it's all aggressive sometimes it's like i'm definitely there (laughs) i'm there for it but it's like I need a break for a little bit. And like Metallica allows you, I mean, simply dynamics to kind of like have that break like emotionally and, you know, I guess physically too um, with it. So so it's interesting to kind of like think of anyone kind of like what's the reason that kind of led them into it. Um, 
But yeah. 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 I, I think I, I think I just from my like my adolescent years, I was just like angry. I, I yeah. was just like nobody understood how I was feeling and I didn't have anybody to talk to. And I, my parents would like try to get me to talk to a therapist. And I was just like not having any of that. And it's just it, it's it's like the kind of narrative that's been told a million times. And I know how corny it sounds, but it's just I felt like people were saying exactly how I felt. And early on, it was like kind of that nihilistic sort of like. I was also like the Sex Pistols, you know, and just and, and just that corner, that sort of like break shit thing. And then when you started getting into bands, it's a weird comparison, but a band like uh, like Minor Threat or Dag Nasty or, or Metallica, where it's just like you get this sort of like nuanced feelings all kind of coming in at the same time. And it's like it's OK to have these sort of contradictory feelings. And it, you're not a fraud just because you have a lot of varying emotions going on at the same time. Well, also, like, one's not canceling out the other. It's not like you're going straight, like, for lack of a better word, like, like, uh, going straight into, like, the sort of, like, mainstream emo stuff that was going on at the time. But you're also not like straight going into like a meathead mode it's it's just like this cool nuanced feeling yeah. that i think yeah contradictory the term contradictory feelings could probably sum up like all of my musical taste <laughs> yeah like that's 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 where i want to live like even when you think about like i hate god like going from like kind of faster things to like slower stuff it's like that contradiction is what i want out of music no matter what the genre is uh, but i guess like before um, you know, we, we've stated it some, but I want people to know like about your podcast, Toxic Slot, uh, which I've been fortunate enough to be a guest on a couple times, but I guess twice. You, yeah, twice. Uh, <laughs> so I guess if you want to explain what that podcast is. And yeah, sure. So I do a horror podcast called Toxic Schlock. I've been doing it for Jesus Christ. I think about three years at this point. Uh, it started out as it's, it's always been a horror podcast early on. It was about talking to guests about their earliest experiences with horror kind of like what we're talking about right now about these like kind of formative experiences and it, and it is still that uh, over the last six months we've kind of reformatted the show to where we're more so talking about the history and cultural influences going into stuff uh, I, I do kind of like long form narrative backgrounds of for instance right now we're doing a series on Satan and the devil and horror. So it's all about talking about the cultural influences that were leading up to a movie like Rosemary's Baby or The Omen and how all these different cultural influences lead to that. And then I also do talk to people from the worlds of punk and heavy metal uh, and actors and all sorts of things and just talking about how awesome these movies are or how not awesome these movies are. Um, I, we most recently did an episode with Chris Callahan of cursed and left for dead, like kind of like a Canadian hardcore punk icon. And it was kind of fun talking about the omen because we were kind of exploring the film and we're like, maybe it's not as good as we thought it is, which is kind of a cool way to reevaluate stuff. Uh, we earlier mentioned Scott from totally slow. Our next episode will probably be out by the time this episode comes out. We're doing an episode on house of the devil, which is one of my favorite contemporary horror films. And we'll be talking a lot about satanic panic 
of the 1980s and how that influenced culture. Uh, so, yeah, so I do this podcast called Toxic Schluck, and it's just about culture and history and horror and how they all kind of tie up. And then, of course, we have a lot of punk and heavy metal and indie rock and all that kind of stuff mixed in with the kind of guests we have. Yeah, yeah, I mean, i big fan of your podcast. Um, I think when I was starting this podcast, I was almost like, you know, I ultimately probably wanted to start a movie podcast, but because you were doing exactly the lane that, you know, I would have done, it's like, well, I can't, you know, so, so, you know, I went into, it's like more than music, I would rather talk about movies all the time, (laughs) really. It's funny you say that, because like, I just enjoy talking about music so much and I rarely get to do it in like long form conversations yeah. about like specific topics. So I was like, when you're doing this, I was like, please, like, <laughs> let's talk about now. But like, I want to talk about anything other than horror. And like, yeah. I love horror and it's like a huge part of my life. But <laughs> I get now I get so excited about talking about music and it's like reminding me about how much I love the albums that I love. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess with your band, Ghouli and uh, like we kind of mentioned at the top with like fest hopefully coming uh yep. near the end of the year like what do you have coming up um you know for the rest of the year if we can we're allowed to do those things yeah no no it's all good uh so with Ghouli, we've just gotten back to practicing we have an entire seven inch written uh knock on wood our plan is I don't even care. You can you can say this. We're doing a seven inch with uh, Not for the Week Records, which is a really cool hardcore punk label out of Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, Virginia Beach, Norfolk area. It's historically had this kind of like macho, kind of like meathead, like New York hardcore side of just like gang like violence sort of vibe in that area. And Not for the Week Records in FTW, they've really created this really cool scene of hardcore punk of just really earnest and sincere people who really love just like fast punk and just like going off. And it's a really cool scene they have going on over there. Uh, I'll go and plug them. Uh, they, they put out a lot of really cool records. Like uh, they re- recently released this record by this band called lethal means. And it's just like really ripping like Japanese style, hardcore punk or the guys who run the label. They're in this band called Bato. It's a really cool, like inspiring scene they have going on over there. Uh, our plan is we're going to release a seven inch with them. Uh, Ghoulie is going to do that. And Hopefully, you know, eventually we'll be able to do some touring. We had a whole lot of touring planned before COVID happened. Um, We released a tape a year ago. Our general sound is I think we're kind of influenced by like bands like TSOL and Poison Idea, as well as like kind of anarcho-punk stuff like Rudimentary Peni and some kind of like uh, goth punk stuff. And actually, I have a new band We'll have a demo out by the end of this, by probably next couple months that I sing and play guitar in. And it's really influenced by Metallica, actually. Oh, wow. um, I'm not saying we're like a straight up metal band where it's like a metal punk band. We're called Private Hell. And I'm really excited about this. It's I'm not at all saying that we sound nearly as cool as these bands, but the big influences are is stuff like Metallica and Neurosis. Uh, kind of gets a little atmospheric at times, but then also we're really influenced by like, Japanese hardcore punk and stuff. I'm really excited about this new band I have. Sick. And then Ghoulie hopefully will have a seven inch out by the end of the year. So um, that's what I got going on. What would you say your favorite TSOL record is? Dance with me. Uh, I, I actually really like beneath the shadows. I think it's a really cool record. And 
I feel terrible saying this. What, what's the record after that? I really like it, and I actually got into it in recent years. Um, the first one with Joe Wood on vocals. Uh, Change well, today. That is my favorite. Uh, TSO really record. good record. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 you know, I think over the last five years, I got really into just like kind of like po- deeper levels of post punk and goth mm-hmm. rock, and then I revisit that record, and it made me reconsider all of my perceptions about hardcore punk because it was always when I was first getting into like TSOL, it was always like first records are good, but then everything else sucks. And yeah. then I listened to people, it. I was like, when they say it's that pretty good. Yeah. People are just wrong. I mean, if someone the told me after like, that, I don't like, yeah, like revenge is not good. Like throw that out. Yeah. But like change today is like a really great, uh, transitional record. Um, yeah. You know, kind of in the same way ride the lightning is, but you know, luckily Metallica had still had some good years. You know, I think yeah. a lot of times when people shifted from a kind of hardcore punk to more rock oriented thing, they definitely had a transitional record. And a lot of those are good. It's just kind of the wannabe hair rock kind of things that people did after that don't always don't usually tend to be good. Uh, Absolutely. But I guess so, so I'll let you go. I know I've kept you long enough. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Toxic Schlock. Uh, check out my band Ghouli, and, you know, Bandcamp, and uh, I think it's I think it's Bandcamp.com slash Ghouli, RVA maybe. Uh, just check us out on Spotify uh, and Toxic Schlock. You can check it out on Stitcher, uh, Spotify, or whatever your drug of choice is for streaming. So check it out if you want to hear me ramble more about uh, horror movies and music and pretty much everything else yeah and i appreciate you talking with me today um you know i can't wait to hear new music and listen to more toxic slot yeah man and let's uh i definitely want to have you back on the show and i would love to come on and talk about the goo goo dolls because yeah i've got me up a about lot of thoughts about that band. yeah we'll definitely do that because <laughs> yeah i definitely want to do more patreon stuff and i could talk about goo goo dolls for a long time as well so thank you oh yeah Awesome. Have a good one. Welcome back. Thanks again to Mikey Kemp for coming on the pod. Please check out his podcast, Toxic Schlock, if you're into horror or other genre films. Okay, next week we're chatting with my good friend Nick Lewis about Green Day's 1995 album Insomniac. Nick plays in Placeholder, and he also plays in my band, All right. We haven't gotten to do much over the last year or so because, well, you know, COVID. Well, anyway, it was a blast hanging out with Nick and catching up. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for editing and producing the pod. Thanks as well to Pretty Maddie for the theme. Please check out our Patreon and leave a review wherever you do that sort of thing. Well, anyway, see you next week. I've been in it.